yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Romy Mack once again back with Two Cents, the mental health edition. It has been a while since, um, you know, picked up recording things, things got sidetracked, got lazy, didn't apply effort, so many things and why it didn't happen, but it's happening right now. And um, I have the esteemed pleasure of bringing back again uh, from the last episode, which was on validation featuring Kells, none other than Kells. Kells, say what's up to everybody. Hi, everybody. Yeah, with that, yeah, with that shit, you know, the the jipperness. You gotta appreciate someone who still, who genuinely has that jipper, um, in their um, in their voice. But um, today's um, episode is going to be centered around perfection and shame. So it's entitled "Perfect Shame," and um, just for starters, why do you feel you are a perfectionist? I mean, I think that. I've dealt with being a perfectionist, a perfectionist. Like, I think I've done a better job of dealing with that. But I think that I'm a perfectionist when it comes to certain aspects of my life. I really was one when I was younger, when it came to academics. Um, when it came to how well I performed in school, I think I had a lot of pressure on myself. Um, but I put myself and from my family to exceed and do well. And so in that sense, I had perfectionist tendencies. But I think as an adult... Um, certain areas of my life, I'm a perfectionist, but not at all. Either you are a perfectionist, or you're not. You can be like a partial. Are you trying to say? Did you join the Jamie Foxx thing? I'm not saying she's a crackhead, just crackish. Crack-ish. Right. So you're saying you're perfectionist, Ish. not a perfectionist. That is a great yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Um, well, first off, thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing that, Kels. All right. Um, why do I feel I am a perfectionist? Um, I felt like I was a perfectionist because I couldn't make mistakes. And if I made mistakes, then love would be removed. That is what I believe based off of experiences growing up and a lot of and a lot of things, you know, um, things had to be done a certain way, not to mention to go off to the military where a mistake can lead to you getting recycled and sent back into the previous week of basic training. Not And then to go to a job where you're in a position, you're in one of those jobs where you're not really afforded to make any mistakes because it deals with the safety of aircraft and people flying on it, you know, so there's this constant need of, uh, you know, to not make mistakes and, but not understanding that, uh, you're supposed to learn from them and that's how you get better. But, um, if you are always, if you, if if you're like me and you felt like you were, um, you felt neglected at times and whether intentionally or unintentionally, um, you felt neglected and you wanted to be seen, you know, you wanted to be recognized that you were there. But if you felt like you weren't there, then you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they see you. So perfection was what my brain would turn to when I wanted to be seen, when I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be recognized that I am here on this earth and that you can see me. So I um, became a perfectionist with a lot of stuff. I wasn't I, I, I became the good kid, you know, the perfectionist. Turn, turn out, they start out as good kids. Even if they do fucked up shit, 
on a sneak tip. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I was, I just made sure that my ducks were in a row as much as possible. You know, I mean, I made mistakes and stuff as a kid. I told lies. I, um, I snuck girls in the house. I was having sex long before I should have. I was, um, I never really experienced with drugs. I might have smoked a black, but never like marijuana or nothing like that. But I, I, I was very cautious with the risk. Now, if it was a woman involved, I was more inclined to take that risk. <laughs> and I believe that's all rooted in the negligence, though, which is crazy. You know, you look at womanizers and, and stuff like that and be like, how the fuck does it get like that? They'll never commit and all that stuff. But you have to understand the dynamic of a relationship, the, the lack of a nurturing relationship with that of you know, of a female. And unfortunately, my my mother's not able to give me something she she doesn't have you know what i mean um without conscious effort put into it so if if i grew up not receiving said um affection or something like that of course i'm gonna try to find that in the world i mean that's anybody Anything you don't find in the house, you're going to find it outside of the house, some way, shape or form. And uh, and none of us are immune to that shit. You know, it's like we think we get so caught up in routine and, and how things go that we don't sit back and take time, especially like if we got kids in the house, whether or not their needs are met. We're looking at the the basic needs like food, shelter and shit like that, but actually engaging with them and finding out what they want and you know, again, emotional needs and all that stuff. So um, coming from a family who doesn't really know how to meet your emotional needs. And then when you're the oldest, there's a lot more pressure. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say there's a lot more. I'm not going to put a comparison to it. There's pressure when you're the oldest and you're expected to set an example for those younger than you. So it also puts you and not only are you getting the... Um, you have the perfectionist mindset already, but now you really have it because everybody's looking at you. And if you make mistakes, then it's coming. The world's coming down on you. So you're not you're not afforded that position. It's all on the line. And then you also take it upon yourself to become this person who just um, who, who wants to take the lead, who wants to be the savior who wants to be Superman or Superwoman and you um, you you tell you, you talk to folks and carry yourself as if you don't make mistakes. And and whenever you get found to make mistakes, you are shamed of it. And that's what would happen with me. When I made mistakes, I would fall heavily into shame and there was nobody there because that would be the response. That's the voice in my head that I didn't put there, obviously, because if you know you make them for me. When folks make mistakes with me, I don't even really like sweat that as much anymore. You know what I mean? But for me, if I make a mistake, I am like I'm hands in my face in my hands, you know, whether physically or figuratively. You know, I just feel like so down because I made this mistake. Now I'm not going to receive that love. That's what is being said in my mind um, as I'm going through this. So feeling the need to be a perfectionist so that you can receive love. That's really all it boils down to. Everything boils down to love. But if you're raised that you're allotted to make mistakes and learn from them, you wouldn't be so inclined to be a perfectionist. But that's just my, you know, thought 
and um, perspective on that, Kels. But what do you what do you, what do you make of what I just shared? I mean, I agree with you saying, you know, definitely I'm the oldest in my family, so I feel as though I wasn't given an opportunity to make mistakes. Like, you know, I think it was a whole fear factor behind that. Um, I don't think I had the chance to be like, let me go out there and be a little bit more wild, or let me be a little bit more reckless, or let me go and do some of the things that other kids did in high school. I didn't have that opportunity. I guess I had the opportunity, but I didn't partake in those things. I think it was a combination of fear and also, not necessarily shame, but fear of my parents. And then not wanting to let my parents down to a certain extent too. But I think for me, it was more fear than anything. I grew up in a household where for a large part of the time, fear was a motivator for me not to do a lot of stuff versus it being how some people didn't do things because they didn't want to disappoint their parents or you know, they didn't want to bring shame to their household. That wasn't necessarily like my thought process, but I do agree with what you're saying. I think when you're the oldest, you realize that you have people under you. So I can't be but so reckless and I have siblings that are under me also. Well, let's talk to the inner child real quick. What would little Lauren's response be if indeed she made a mistake? You know, finding out that she was not perfect back then and something that she got reprimanded for with her mother. What would it mean to little Lauren if she were to make a mistake? What would that, how would you take that? I was hard on myself as a child. Like, mistakes were a big deal for me. Like, I just did not do well when I made a mistake, and especially if, of course, I got reprimanded for it. But even if I didn't, like, I was very tough on myself when it came to things like that. If I didn't get something right or if it was something that I didn't comprehend, like, I'm going to figure it out. I don't care how long it takes. The next time it comes around, I'm not going to not get that question right or I'm not going to not, you know, those particular concepts. So I don't think I gave myself grace as a child. Right. You know, I think it's a different level of... um, peace when you know that you can't make a mistake and the world is not going to end. I wasn't one of those kids. I was one of those kids that made a mistake and just thought that it was like World War III. And not, a lot of times it was just myself with my thoughts in my head. The world was still going on. Tomorrow still would come. Mm-hmm. You know, But in that moment, I didn't feel that way. What would you say if I told you that the perfectionist is all part of your makeup but it's all about how you manage it and use it towards what is um, going on in your life. Because do you think you get where you are today without that perfectionist mindset that you had when you were younger? Absolutely not. That's why it's kind of like a gift and a curse. Right. I mean, I think there has to be a balance between it. I mean, would I be a scientist slash PA? Absolutely not. I don't think that right. would have happened. But I think that as you go through life, you have to have a balance. It has to be that you are, you know, striving for a goal, but it's also give yourself grace when you know that something, that you make a mistake. There is no perfect human being walking around here. And it's such a, I feel like that's a statement that people say all the time. Hey, you can't be perfect because no one's perfect, but we kind of train ourselves that we have to be perfect. It's like a huge oxymoron. But in our minds, we're like, we have to be perfect when we make a mistake. At least for me, it's like, how did I make that mistake? Or why didn't I cash that? Or why did I add this? Or why didn't I you know, do the suture right or something like that. But the mm-hmm. reality of it is, that day is coming. There's going to be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Lord willing, hopefully I won't kill anybody. Yeah. But <laughs> there are going to be mistakes made. That's life. Yeah. I, um, from my own life, and not just my perfectionist, uh, perfectionism, but working with individuals who have um, that 
disease of perfection um, if, to an extent where it's just toxic. Um, one of my coworkers, sharp, sharp, knows his shit. Um, couldn't tell him, can't tell him shit. Like literally, he can like he can match wits and intelligence with you um, with the best of them. But if indeed, like mistakes, mistakes um, become these uh, triggers, and it almost it 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 keeps that individual um, like stressed out, loaded with anxiety because of the fear of making a mistake. Now, instead of when we when we focus on being perfect instead of making progress, you never learn. You don't learn that way. I don't believe people learn by um trying to be perfect. I think that's rooted in fear. I just I believe that, you know, aiming for perfection in a sense at work where you're just like harping on each other about something, I believe that's rooted in fear as to where um, if we do make mistakes that we we get assertive about it, we work at it, and we just um, in, uh, encourage others to, to do better. You know, like if you're stronger at something than I am, and I'm clearly showing you that I'm trying, that's what mistakes mean. You know, mistakes show that you're trying. And um, if I'm doing so, then you then help then help me then help me get to where you you know where, where you are with it do not come off as if you are um you know not a part of the team because what that does is create um separation amongst the unit when you do so all for the sake of what perfection mm-hmm. but if we're working towards progression and we recognize that, damn, I'm just like him. Just regardless of his position and all his intelligence, he makes mistakes just like me. I can do what the fuck he's doing. And I'm more inclined to, to really learn from that individual. But when you come off as if you're um, not a part of the team, if you will, be rooted in your own perfection, which is, I still believe is rooted in fear, and shame from something that may have happened a long time ago, then we are just kept, again, it keeps us, it, it doesn't bode well for the team itself, and that's really why we're here. We're working as a team. Everybody's got their position on the field, on the court, on the ice, whatever it is, and um, we have to do our part. And you have, there's one part of the team where one is the manager, then you have the subordinates, then you have the owners and, you know, and all these other managers, these people and um, like from a military standpoint, these commanders and all that stuff. Everybody's got to do their part in being part of the team. But um, I love this great quote by John Wooden, uh, where he says, uh, you'd be surprised how much you get done when no one cares who gets the credit type stuff. So coming off like you're perfect. And then separating yourself from the group so that you can be recognized by yourself. You know, now that's, you're putting your, it's no longer a team game now. Now it's, uh, it's David Ruffin and the Temptations is what, you know what I'm saying? Eddie, Eddie Kane Jr. in the heartbeats, you know. But um, perfection can drive a wedge um, if not handled or managed properly. And um, I just, you know, like I said, Got, got off on a tangent, but 
the whole thing of asking you, would you be where you are today without um, that sense of perfectionism pushing you along the way? Because it got you where you are. It's just learning how to manage it better. That's just, um, you know, my kind of thoughts on that one. So, um, I mean, we kind of covered it loosely, but we'll go directly into it. Is shame rooted in the formation of perfection? Like looking back at um, those instances when you were uh, little Lauren and um, the moments where you did not want to make mistakes inside your home with your um, with your with your moms. And did you feel shame if you were to make any mistake, if you were if you had a blemish on you? Did you feel a sense of shame where like you tried to hide things or hide anything you might have done wrong or something like that, you know, and, and for fear of love being removed of some sort? I think for me, I didn't necessarily feel like love was going to be held back or I wasn't going to get love, but it just was the idea of getting some type of reprimand, whether it be getting chastised or getting something taken away. It was more of that aspect. I never really had the concept that you made that my family may love me less um, because I made a mistake. But I think at times I thought that I would potentially disappoint my parents if I made a mistake. And necessarily that, that that they would love me less, but that I would be a disappointment. So I guess along with that did come some shame um, that I put upon myself and that I felt like I wasn't doing enough or I could have did better. But also I felt like that was external forces saying you should have did better. You did this, but right. hey, you got so, all A's and a B plus. That B should have been an A. It's like, but I got all A's and a B. Why? The B is not acceptable. So that was kind of the environment that I was in. So you had external forces saying you did good-ish, but do better. All right. So. Cool. So would you say it's more like a form of domestication in the sense of like that shame, like um, not being allowed to make or feeling like you weren't allowed to make mistakes? I, mean, I definitely feel as though I was not allowed to make mistakes, which looking back, I'm like, how is that possible to live in such a perfect life? There is no such thing. And I think that people have to give people wiggle room, give children. I mean, I don't have children, but... Like you have to give people wiggle room to make mistakes because we are human beings. We're going to make mistakes. Now, let me ask you this. Now, granted, you felt like you couldn't make mistakes. Looking back at your childhood, did your parents make mistakes? Yes, and I think they both agree. All of them agree that they made mistakes. Right. But I think that, especially with my mother, she grew up in a household where you weren't allowed to make mistakes. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it kind of trickled down. You know, you know, you are a product of your environment. You know, right. she did things differently um, with my other siblings and with me too at times. But I think our parents are examples of what they saw. And if you grew up in a household where mistakes were not an option, I mean, that's kind of the household you end up having for yourself too until you recognize that things can be different. All right. So, what did and and, and we again? I think we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. But I'll ask again: What did you think would happen if you if you made a mistake? Again, I never felt like I would lose their love, but I guess the getting yelled at, getting right. talked to kind of crazy, that was enough for me. Like, and what did, and for you, looking back at little Lauren, what did yelling mean? Yelling meant I wasn't good enough. 
element I didn't do enough. I didn't try hard enough. Even if I did, it was a perception that whatever you did, even if it was your best, was not good enough. So to me, I think that was detrimental to me as a child because it was like, well, I can really, really try really hard, but it's still not good enough. But then in turn, I feel like I put that on myself too. Right. Like, try harder, do okay. better. So let me ask you, do you still struggle with that I don't feel good enough thing? And mind you, you're sitting next to one of your closest friends right now before you answer. So um, I'll ask you this, and you know, I want you to a- answer honestly. Um, do you still struggle with that whole idea that I'm not good enough in some aspects of your life? In some aspects of my life, I feel like I can be doing more. Like, you know, I've achieved some things in my career, but I'm like, what else can I be doing? There's something else that I can be doing. I can be doing more, maybe doing more research, maybe getting published again. I'm not sure exactly what it looks like, but I definitely feel like I'm trying to explore other avenues to doing more. But in other parts of my life, I'm like, no, I'm okay. Like, I've achieved, on the flip side, <clears throat> I've achieved something that I worked very, very hard for. And, you know, it's something I dreamed about. And I have achieved that dream. But I'm still kind of looking down the road, like, what's next? What else can I do? Yeah. Well, I can understand, you know, wanting to set more goals for yourself. And I um, can appreciate that and commend you for doing so for yourself. But the, going back to the question, do you struggle with feeling like you're good enough, though? You know what I mean? Like, there's one thing of setting more goals and all that stuff, but that feeling like I'm not good enough, I have to work so that I can be good. Do you still deal with that? Or are you fine where you are? And it's more so, like you just said, setting more goals. You know what I mean? But because I know for sure there are days where I, my ego can get the best of me and I don't feel like I'm good enough and I have this imposter syndrome. Like everything that I've built with the the podcasting, the mental health journey and all this stuff, like this isn't you. Just go back and revert into a little scared little bitch that was, uh, you know, you as a child just trying to survive, um, you know, trying to blend in with everybody, trying to fit in, um, being funny so that nobody would fuck with you or whatever it is pretending to like certain things so that you would be included and have a sense of like a team or, you know, protection and shit. But, you know, um, that, yeah, just not feeling, not feeling good enough. You know, that, you know, you look, it's just, um, trauma, trauma creeps in. So, I mean, for you, do you find yourself feeling that way? Does little Lauren sometimes take the wheel? Um, you know, in life, do you find little Lauren being the one that's like speaking for you and you have fear, um, fears talking? I mean, I think that I have those moments at times, but for the most part, no, but I mean, there are moments where like, you know, you're sitting by yourself and you're thinking over your life and thinking of the mistakes that you've made and different situations that have occurred. And what if I did this or what if I did that? But in those moments, I try to relax, I try to reflect on the life that I have now. You know, like it's like, kind of why I put up the goals thing. I try to remember that I am where I dreamed of being. Not exactly how I thought it was going to look. Right. But I do have those moments where I'm like, what if I did this? Or what if I went down this road instead of that road? And you can't really change the past. So those times, I will say that little Lauren does kind of take the seat. Maybe if you had tried a little bit harder here, or maybe if you had right. chose this road or something else, you know. But 
Also, I try not to dwell on those moments because you cannot change the past. And the past made you who you are in this moment right now. So like we talked about before, you have to be present literally right now. Yeah, you have to live in the present moment. And whatever is done is done. There's there's nothing else to it. Literally, it's like stopping in a city on a road trip and doing something nice for somebody and driving the fuck off. You may never see them people again. That's how we have to see shit in life. But a lot of us, what we do, we stay in our local town and we go to that same gas station and we see that nice per- that person that we did something nice for. And then we expect conditional love because we expect them to do the same shit for us. And they very well may, may do some fuck shit when we do something nice for them. You can give somebody money. I don't want your fucking money. It was a kind gesture on your part. They're responding from something that was going on with them. What their response has nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with what they got going on. But we can, but depending on we, what we got going on, when they do that to us, <laughs> we may respond Absolutely. in a defensive posture as well. But if we are fine with who we are, if we're secure in our mind, it's not going to bother us no matter what. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So it's like learning to give unconditional love. And to learn to not live in fear and worry about if this person's going to give me the love that I'm expecting from them if I do this for them. You know, long before that, just learning how to do things unconditionally is probably one of the struggles, at least for me in this life, is that learning to do things from an unconditional standpoint. Like learning to only do things when I want to do them, not because somebody wants me to do that. And if I don't do it, then I feel like they're going to remove that love from me. You know what I mean? And learning how to speak up, you know, as we talked about that, you know, struggling with that growing up, not feeling that you had your you didn't have healthy boundaries. You know what that is. You just had to do what your parents told you to do. And yeah, there's nothing. None of that shit. Um, it doesn't. It didn't exist. And then we would look at like white kids, you know, or anybody outside of the black community. Wow. Like, damn, you talk back to your mom, that type of thing. But it's like you're uh, expressing how you feel. Yeah, exactly. That's literally all it was. You know, I don't advise any any black kid try that shit in with them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but <laughs> like, certain, certain parents, you know what I mean. But but there's definitely room for improvement as to what the model is for raising black children or black parents you know what i'm saying like um but you want to recognize how your child feels but you still want to be assertive on your rules that you have in place um for them because if if we're doing it in a healthy and a more effective way we're not giving you rules because we don't want you to have your fun we're doing it so that you can learn to have discipline because if you don't have discipline in this life you're fucked you're going to fuck yourself up in this life if you don't have discipline of some sort. You know, you can have, I can give you a hundred million dollars and that can be the tools you need to screw yourself. You know what I mean? And, or what what have you, so many scenarios you can come up with that. I was going to say, like, I fully agree with that again, because I mean, I literally had this conversation with my cousin Nisi the other day because her kids have, I joke with her all the time. I was like, your kids have like the white kids freedom. And I give her a hard time about it. But it's literally, they have a really good emotional 
um, open communication with right. her children. Like, her kids feel free to say, hey, mom, like, what you said to me earlier today, that bothered me. Or, hey, mom, like, this is how I felt about this and this and that. And me and my cousin necessarily weren't in households where we were allowed to express ourselves. So I love that she's decided to change that narrative in her family. She made a conscious decision to say, we're not going to keep this cycle going. Like, I'm not going to let my kids not express how they feel. Like, And it's right. awesome when I hear them say different things to her. And not disrespectful or rude, but right. just, I tell her all the time, like, you know when we leave this, we'll leave this earth never saying those things to our parents, right? And she's like, I know, right? And it's kind of crazy, but that's kind of like how it should be. There be she definitely should be respect there. But, again, it kind of goes back to if our parents never saw it, how could they know to give that to us? But because yeah. my cousin has seen the other side, she literally made a conscious effort to say, well, my children, I'm going to attempt to do things differently. Right. And, you know, when they have children, Lord willing, they will do the same. But I think you have to make sure that you, we talked about it before, that people feel like they're being seen and heard. Yeah. And if you don't feel as though your parents are listening to you or hear you, then you do go on the outside world and try to get that same acceptance. You right. do go seek it. You do go seek, you know, someone else that is able to listen to you or you feel like it's at least is listening to you and, you know, is hearing what you're saying. Um, but, again, it goes back to how can our parents give us something if they weren't they giving it? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're our parents' parents were surviving. You know, we talked about this before. Their generation didn't have the luxury to be like, let's go to school or let's focus on that. They were surviving. Yeah. Being raised on survival and being raised on love are are really two different experiences in, um, in life. So, I mean, being grateful for being in a position to where uh, life is taken care of, you know. And it just came out of nowhere. I mean, my mother may not have been the most uh, emotionally available individual, neither my father, because they were raised on survival and they just go-getters, like, of, of all sorts. You know, I can never, I will never take that from that. I love my mommy and my daddy for that. However, you know, um, being now in a position to where you can actually show that love, it's, it's uncomfortable when you're getting that after so many years of having to be so tough. And initially in my 20s you know recognizing like damn you know this woman did so much I felt like she did so much for me this man did so much for me I just want to give it all back to them feeling like I owed them or something like that and then when I give love they're not able to receive it because they've never had it like in this form so it comes off very uncomfortable and and then you get the Heisman for it you know they push you the fuck away type thing and you really just want to to give them the love that you felt like that you can see that they possibly needed, you know, and um, sometimes ego can get in the way because you make it about you. Like, you know, y'all going to get this love from me. I'm going to show y'all that I'm the good son, you know, that type of stuff. But um, I'll say this. Would you say that if you were to express yourself Let's just say your your mom chastised you, and you like how your 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 cousin or whatever mentioned like mom, I um I really didn't like what you said. Would you be shamed? Like would that response come like you would be shamed for what you mentioned about your feelings? As a daughter, as a child. Let's go both ways. <clears throat> as a child, I don't think it would have been received well. I mean, we had those moments where um. 
I attempted to do that, and it was not received well at all. But looking so, back on it, you know, I realized that, like we talked about before, my mother's cup was full. I mean, there right. is no book on being a married single parent. Yeah. Like, there is no blueprint for that. I mean, so, so, but a, okay. so you were, so, so in a sense, you were shamed for expressing yourself. Yes. So, so what that can do, and would you agree that by doing so, you've made it, now you've taught yourself in that scenario, I have to be perfect in order for that to not happen again, to not rock the boat, to not, you know, um, you know, uh, ruffle feathers. You want to keep the, uh, you want to keep the ship sailing. Otherwise, you know, something's going to be removed of some sort. Like, it's just not going to bode well. It's going to, fear is going to be used as a form of, like, controlling, you know. Like, manipulation is used by, you know, those that um, that use fear to to get you to do what they want them to do. And it's just a passed on thing. And you can look at it stemming all the way back to slavery, you know what I mean? Treating, teaching you as if you don't have rights. Like, again, it's a plantation mindset, and it's so deep. It's very deep-rooted more than what people give credit for. But the way that we teach our children a certain way, like, why do I have to do it? Because I said so. It's all rooted back into how a slave was treated, how they didn't have rights, they didn't have um, say-so with certain things, and they were uh, controlled and manipulated by their masters. And, and, and one could be said that, you know, if you have authoritative parents that are not emotionally available or not in tune with your uh, with your thoughts and feelings because they weren't raised that way and they seem to turn out okay. That's the <laughs> that's the funny thing. And like, well, my mama did it. I turned out okay. Are you really okay though? Why do you spaz the fuck out when you know when, when you get triggered by something? You think you're okay. You think that's normal. That's normal for you to respond like a child. When you're asked something by another adult, even if that adult is your child now, you know what I mean? Like that, that you're not going to tell me you're okay because that's not how adults respond to things. That's how a child with a tantrum would respond to something. But that of an adult, adults talk things out. Adults can be assertive and, you know, be stern about stuff with all that hollering and shit. That's what children do. Children holler at each other. Like trying to have a conversation, like being in relationships with individuals, whether it's your parents, your relationship with your significant other or what have you. You tell me how it looks from afar when you see two grown ass people yelling at each other. In the little parking lot. Kindergarten. Sorry. Kindergarten. Yeah, like them yeah, them two dumb motherfuckers we saw. So like um, <laughs> like at Lowe's, I get twenty five dollars. Fine, take your twenty five dollars, I walk my ass on. You know, like ho- like hollering in the motherfucking rain. Kendrick Lamar Sr. You know, out there with them cornrows arguing with his girlfriend. But it's like mental health is so fucking serious. Right. And to see two grown people yelling at each other. In the rain. Like, do you not understand how that how that looks? And you're trying to tell me that you as an adult, you're fine. You're you're fine because this is how you were raised. No, 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 no. There's something to take a look at in another lens. It's nothing to um, for your ego to take offense to. 
It's just for your soul to receive it so that you can work to be better. And that's not just for our parents, our fam, family members, it's our friends, everyone. I believe everybody should take, um, like, should go to therapy. Um, but it, and one thing is going to therapy, and it is also finding a therapist that actually uh, fits well for you and your improvement. So it's one of those things. It's like finding a dog, if you will, like the, dog, the right dog, the right pet for you um, to, to, like, to go home with and, and all that stuff. But um, mental health is very, I mean, the information alone, I mean, you can do that roughly by yourself, by educating yourself. But um, yeah, shame. Shame being rooted in the formation of uh, perfection. Yeah, certainly. I believe that. I, I believe that for a lot of people. Like, if you didn't um, do this, you would be shamed for it. If you didn't make all A's, you would be shamed for it. If you didn't make honor roll, you would be shamed for it. If you if you forgot to take that trash out this week, but you've always taken out the trash previously, you would be shamed for it. If you... Um, you know, you didn't take your brother outside with you to play because your mom and them ain't home and you, it's the summertime. You'd be shamed for it. So it's like, I have to do all these things right in order for something to not be said because you get chastised. And, you know, and you grow up in a house that uses shame to uh, to tear you down, even if it's like to be funny. Like, you know, you got this family where somebody falls and then everybody laughs at you and reminds you that you fell down the stairs. Shit might have been funny, but you're still using shame as a tactic. And it's constantly bringing up something to almost have this control and manipulate. Shame is used by manipulators to keep you at that level, especially if you um, value their validation. You're going to um, you're going to take to heart that person that keeps bringing up that old shit that you did. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't value, if you don't um, look to them for your validation, it doesn't matter what they bring up about you because you know who you are. I was going to say, like, when we talked about, like, the parents and the shaming, I think also a lot of it was, one, that's what they were taught, but it also was a protective mechanism. Like, I'm going to shame you for doing this and this and that because I don't want you to participate in these activities. I don't want you to do this from trying to protect you, but almost kind of going about it in the wrong way. Like, fear stopped me from doing a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, I wish it was delivered in a different kind of way, but the fear did stop me from being with the people that were smoking or going, like, drinking when I was younger, you know, because of what the consequences that would happen if something happened or if I got caught or something like that. So I get both sides of it. It just wasn't the best delivery, I think. You know, well, but I think... Um, I, I, I get what you're saying, Kels. I also believe that um, overindulgence in anything can be bad. Mm-hmm. Granted, chocolate is not an illegal drug by America's standard, like marijuana or any of that hard shit. But if you eat candy galore, you know what I mean? Junk food, empty calories... What happens to your teeth? What happens to your insides? You know what I mean? Like these things happen, and um, it, what makes it any any different? Like, do you feel like it? It made you somewhat like into. It can make you push you in that along the lines of like a a goody two shoes based off of like pers- like the perspective or perception of what these things would be like. Oh, the ones that are out there drinking. 
I mean, drinking in moderation is okay. We know that now being obviously adults and shit like that. Smoke, like those who take part in smoking, if it's done in moderation, it's not, you know, it's not harming anyone. You know, you have uh, medical marijuana that some people could have. So let's just say you were hanging around the individuals that were taking medical marijuana back then, you know what I'm saying? Would it have a profound effect on you being this this person that was just getting into the wrong crowd, if you will? You I mean, know what I mean? I mean, I'm not gonna say medical, medical marijuana, but I had friends who brothers dabbled and stuff. Right, right. And we were around them. I just didn't participate, so I didn't judge them anyway. You know, either way. I mean, we had friends in our friend circle that did certain things. I just didn't participate, but I still yeah. come around for some stuff. I believe. You know, I didn't judge them for it per se. Right. I believe that our parents, some of our parents, uh, raised us to be very, very cautious. So what happens when you raise a child with so much caution, you instill anxiety of catastrophic proportion, and they are afraid to take risk in life. There's nothing worse than living a life where you do not take any risk. Because you know the, the, big way, the best way to be safe in this life? Never leave your apartment. Never leave your house. Nothing ever happens. But when you reach 90 years old, what are you going to share with the world? Oh, well, you know, I made sure I I never got hurt. I made sure nothing ever happened to me. You don't have a fucking story to tell. Like, again, that shame, the same thing, rooting in that shame. There's so many um, disadvantages of what shame can do to the human mind that causes us to operate like such. Like, for instance, in my family, my brother is very adventurous. But because of my family's upbringing and ideology about trying different things outside of the norm and doing you know the same shit year round when he goes whitewater rafting (laughs) when he goes you know to a nudist resort when he goes to all these different things this nigga's crazy you know what i mean in actuality that is their own insecurities. That is their own limitations and own fears that they're projecting onto him. But he's showing you that it's possible because he's doing it. He did it. You with your little whitewater rafted ass. Same thing. You know, you. Um, it was a calculated risk. A calculated risk. Yes. You can't swim. There is, everything is a risk. <laughs> That's the thing you have to make the decision. It's a At some point risk. in time, you have to be able to take risk. What are you going to do with your life if you never take risk? What happens? What do you get? What do you get out of life if you don't take any risk? And why? And the reason why I bring it up, because shame can pre- prevent you from taking risk. Because you'll feel shamed if you do this. Fuck that. I, I say that you got to decide what type of risk you're going to take in this life. And, and at the point in time. I don't suggest you doing, like, what's the drug with fentanyl? Fentanyl. Yeah, whatever that should see. You know, I don't know shit about it. Like, you know, that's what I'm saying. So, if like, <laughs> I I don't recommend those risks. Oh, that particularly. That's still yeah. educated. I mean, that is a. What I'm saying, like, calculated risk. Yes, I I don't recommend. I just don't recommend that anybody Dabbling take part in shit. You know what I'm saying? Something that's you going, draw the line something right that there. fucking fatal. You know what I mean? Not crack fentanyl. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, that's same category. Whatever. You know, we just had to be very, very cautious with uh, with shame and um, and how shame is rooted in 
this perfectionist mindset. Like we have to be perfect in order to have this life the way that we want it. But you live in constant anxiety. Living, trying to be perfect comes with fear. It comes with anxiety. But when you live uh, your life to, to be, when you love yourself unconditionally, you take everything as it comes you know, mistakes that that happen, you use that as lessons to be to be learned, depending on what that mistake is. And obviously you shoot some damn body and you and then we and, and, and then you go to jail. Well that maybe that too, you know. Um but like when and you go to jail for it, you very well may be forgiven by, you know, a higher being or whatever it is, but your ass still gonna be doing time for what for what your decision your decisions that you make can cost you. Um so that's just, uh, you know, our thoughts on those things. Um, so how do you deal with shame? <laughs> like when you, how do, like as far as like going, like learning from it, like how, or what is your way of, of when shame, when something shameful happens, right? What are, what are your, uh, what are your, what are your ways of coping with it? How do you cope with shame? I'm um, definitely uh, overanalyzing. Oh really? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Fix your face. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's an un- that's an understatement, you know. But go ahead. Anyway, <laughs> so I am the type of person that would overanalyze, or we're just gonna say analyze the situation, right. you know, over and over again. Um, that is something that I kind of deal with. Um, I'm working on better, like being better at letting stuff go. And letting people go, letting situations go. That's it. It's a, I'm a work in progress in that. Every day. Um, I try not to dwell in it, but I mean, I'm really am at the point now where I know that I'm better at realizing when stuff happens, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. It's not a permanent situation. Nothing here is permanent. Everything and, happens for you. And to move on. So, you know, circa a couple of five, six years ago, not so much, not where I am at now. Yeah. You know, but it's a different kind of piece when you just accept the fact that you know, if you believe what you're supposed to believe biblically, we are not in control anyway. Yeah. So when you literally just accept the fact that you're not in control, mm-hmm. why are you stressing about a mistake yeah. that you made? That's confidence. I was reading um, this book called, what the fuck was the name of it? Unoffended by Eisen, Eiselganger. He's a YouTube uh, user that I follow on YouTube, but he's dropped like three books and just follows the Stoics and staying with stuff but in it you talk about the definition of confidence and confidence is accepting what you're able to do and accepting what you're not you know what I mean and I for the longest was believing of confidence in the sense of like how you walked how you talked where you carried yourself you know what I'm saying holding frame all that stuff you know what I mean I speak on especially like with masculinity and, and all that shit but being able to accept who you are at the moment in the present moment it doesn't mean that you're not going to change doesn't mean you're not going to improve but learning to accept that and it helped me remove a lot of that perfectionist mindset that I had gotten um caught up in my peers you know when you work with when you work with perfectionists it's only I mean you're going to become the fourth one if there's three of them there you're going to become the fourth one eventually unless you really have your your mind protected you know what I mean that's just how it goes so but to be able to um to read such and be reminded 
that um, it's all right to make mistakes and more so just to learn from them and bounce back. It's an interception. Get back in the game. That's it. If you can, if you can look up, you can get up. Like you know, Les Brown. That's Les Brown quote is very big on that. You know, like yeah, you get, yeah, you get knocked down, but if you can look up, then you can get up. So, um, just finding ways to overcome those uh, those mistakes. It's and it's rough. Don't get me wrong. I still um, like how you cope with shame. I cope with shame over analyzing, over analyzing the past. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, more so childhood trauma and things like that. Um, as for the way I overanalyze today's stuff, it it's um, I find it to be helpful. I'm able to see things differently. I'm able to compartmentalize when things happen and I don't allow myself to spaz. And it's like, oh, okay, I see that. That perspective, that perspective. Okay, cool. And there's nothing for me to take to heart. If I do take something to heart, that's the ego. And the ego's rooted in fear. Because they're behind anger is fear. So whenever something, whenever you feel like you need to be something or your identity is threatened, you're going to defend it. That's the ego. You know what I mean? And that's why it's important for us to remember to operate from the soul and not from that of the ego. Because you're not your thoughts. You're not your emotions. You're not who the fuck you think you are, right. honestly. You're just a human. That's all. That's all we are. Like when the history books in a hundred years, you're not gonna remember. You're not gonna be remembered. You know, you're not gonna remember this in a hundred years. The world's not gonna remember you. Wait a minute now. Yeah, you're not. Listen, we're just humans. All right. Okay. We're just humans, and and even even then, when we're gone. What does it matter? Right. We're fucking gone. So, you know what I'm saying? It's just the aspect of just learning to appreciate this life for just being human, being able to make mistakes, getting removing this idea that you have to be something, um, that you have to be this in order to be loved in this world. And if the only person that really matters about loving you is you. And, and that's where the human aspect comes in. Because when you believe you're anything more than human, that's where you fuck up. You're human. When you sit there and you beat yourself up, you think you're fucking superhuman. You're just human. (laughs) When we're sitting there worried about we couldn't get our kids fucking Christmas toys and shit, you're fucking human. Who says that you have to have this shit? This is some pagan shit that was created, you know, for to sell fucking to sell toys and get sell items and get money. And people are basing their uh, validation of themselves based off of some shit that was made to make money. Real shit. I mean, you think about it. That's just, that's honestly what we do. Um, you know, if we don't, uh, I, don't, I don't know, if we don't get this raise like we want it. Oh, man, sucks. My life is, you know, I'm, I'm, no, accept it. Accept everything that happens to you. You are not entitled to shit. You're not entitled to anything. You're going to have to work for everything you get in this motherfucking life. You know, in a lot of ways. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some people are born into money and things like that. But even still, you won't be you won't get the respect because we know you're born into money. You know, the reason why people give the Kardashians so much shit is like, you know, they were born in 
to money with Robert Kardashian as the fucking lawyer for, you know, for OJ trial and all that stuff. I'm like, what does she do? You know, all those families and shit that we see, the Hiltons and, and all these things. We don't know them personally. We only know based off of what we're seeing on face value. So they very well may have gifts that we don't fucking know about, but based off of what's released on TV, it's like, what the fuck did they do? You know what I mean? But, um, cope, and I, again, sidetrack again, coping with, uh, <laughs> coping with, um, shame. Um, yeah, overanalyzing, but the part of over, the, the great part of overanalyzing for me is that it always brings me back to the center. And when you can be centered, you think with a calm mind. And you realize that all that overthinking is just the ego. The ego has no control. You, like you mentioned, you're not in control. It's You think you're in control, but you're not in control. It's Life is running on its own. It's learning to trust the universe as much as possible. I mean, how many times have you, we talk, you know, on the phone and shit or in person where you tell me the universe was working this way and how things just happen to line up. They're right there in front of us if we learn to trust it. But when you think you're in charge, the life, God and his universe has a way of showing you that you are not in charge here. Like, I wanted to be with him for the rest of my life. And then he broke up with me. I wanted to be with her forever. I really did. But she left me. Now look at you. Everything happens for the good. Because if you stay with that individual, you would have to accept that individual for the toxic shit they were doing to you. God found a way to remove it because your ass wasn't going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, these things happen and we have to trust that shit. Why didn't my marriage work? Very well could have been you. You know, it could have been you. <laughs> it very well could have been the other individual. But you have to trust. What well, You got to move on. You have to find a way to move on. You don't want to hold on to this idea of what you had, of, of, of what, uh, what you thought you had, instead of accepting it for what it is. Mm-hmm. That is where we struggle as humans. You know, again, and that's what I mean. Like, you're, there's nothing, there's nothing bigger than human. Um, so it's just accepting things. I think that's the hardest thing for us to do in this life in many ways. Whether it's losing a relative, losing um, a friend, or what have you, it, acceptance, because we feel like life is supposed to go the way that we want. But just learning to look at life not from that of possession. But appreciation, everything changes. You learn to practice gratitude for moments that you have. Because you never know when an individual is going to be gone. You have no idea. We do not know. So it's learning to find appreciation for the people around us. And if those people no longer serve you, then you have to have that courage to, to not have an attachment and walk away from that if it no longer serves you. Because the people around you, should, you should not feel drained after leaving them. You should feel empowered. You should feel enlightened. You should feel, like, you know, energized. But if you're hanging around individuals, I don't care if it's family, friends, co Well, I mean, you can't really do shit about co-workers because <laughs> they're there. But if you're around people 
and they have this um, this energy about you know you feel it coming when they come over like oh lord here they come with this shit. It's it's more about you. You're in control. You're regardless of what you think. You're in control of that. You decide if you want to be around those individuals and allow them to drain you because it's a choice. No one's making you stay there. When it comes to family, now if you're a kid. And you growing up, you know what I'm saying, on your mama roof or something like that. Yeah, you might. But you go to your room or whatever stuff to be productive and stay away from that shit. But if you're an adult and you still got lingering ass cousins that you know are leeches and they're draining the shit out of you, you got to let it go. You got to trust that you're going to be okay. You'll be fine, I promise you. Because none of us are promised to be here. Like... We definitely don't want to live like our parents are going to live forever. They're all going to, we're all going to go. Ain't none of us getting out of this shit alive. So, I mean, to, to constantly rely upon our parents for, for life is, um, is, is detrimental to our mental health for that. We have to learn how to live on our own as hard as it may seem, and my, but not so much what it is. You know what I mean? In our mind, it seems like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be tough. But in reality, actually, um, we'll be okay. Somehow, some way. Life will go on. It's happened. We've had loved ones leave this earth. We probably thought we wouldn't, what we do without them. And we're still here living. You know what I mean? All right. So, so in closing, for this, uh, I say, this perfect shame um, episode, Kellos, want to ask this how do you feel one can grow in the world of perfection and that very well could be a rhetorical question i mean i think it kind of goes back to what i said earlier that you have to give yourself grace i mean i'm on the perfectionism spectrum so you know somewhere in there you know i've had to learn to just realize that it is okay to make mistakes Mm -hmm. i mean no one here is perfect and just you know keep working towards accepting the fact that you're going to make mistakes and when a mistake comes not dwelling in that mistake constantly not overthinking it overanalyzing it for too long think about it and move on i mean so i think that is like the best way that you can kind of the best way that you can kind of move forward in a uh, perfect world is realizing that you are never going to be perfect and just accept that it's okay yeah i agree um, my perspective on how uh, one can uh, be better in a world of um, perfection, yeah, same, kind of the same, on the, along the same lines of understanding that the world is not perfect itself. That um, obviously, if you're biblical, you believe that you know Jesus was the only thing that was perfect. However, there are parts of the Bible that were parts of Jesus' life that's not in the Bible. I think what is it from age what five to twenty seven. Something like that. We don't know what the hell happened. You know what I mean? And that's just, uh, hey, you know, that's just my perspective on that. That's not for any Bible thumpers to take offense um, to to said things. I mean, um, but uh, coping, not coping. I mean, looking at the world, uh, a perfect world and trying to improve in it is just to do your best. I would just uh, go along the lines of the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personal. Don't make assumptions and just always do your best. And an understanding in the sense of always do your best is that you're, you're, each day is going to take a new best from you. And um, 
And when you see it that way, you won't be so hard on yourself. As long as you're doing your best every day and you're leaving it all out there on the field, you won't feel the need to question yourself. You know what I'm saying? If you gave everything you had in that day, that's all individuals are doing. Each day, getting up, you're doing the best you can. And um, and that's how you um, live in this world of perfection, if you will, which is a, a fucking facade. Uh, it's all a fantasy. It's an illusion that perfection is nothing. I believe perfection is nothing but an illusion. So with that being said, living in to how to live in the world of perfection, um, you just understand that it's OK to make mistakes as long as you were doing your best. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much a wrap on, uh, this episode of, uh, Perfect Shame. Uh, Kel's made it through another one that, uh, I believe she's getting more comfortable, um, doing said podcast and stuff, uh, which is awesome. I mean, I think that's great. It's so what it does is enable, um, somebody else to maybe start a podcast their day. You realize how you you may be inspiring somebody who may not feel as comfortable being on the show. I'm like, oh, you know what? If if she can grow on it, then maybe maybe I can. But um, truthfully, and um, I just want to say uh, I'm grateful, uh, Kels, for the uh, the bond, the friendship that we were able to uh, sustain, you know, roughly through high school and even to, you know, present day. Uh, obviously, she's a lot stronger as adults than we were as kids, but um, to be able to share these stories, learn from each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses and um, testimonies of, about life, um, it's been nothing but, uh, I would say, nothing short of a blessing uh, for me. And um, I'm grateful, like I said, grateful to have you as um, a friend. Um, in the, uh, unconditionally in, in all, <laughs> all all your ma- various ways of who you are as a person that make up that, that makes um, Lauren Kelly uh, you know what I mean um, just ex- learning to accept that and embracing set you know embra- embracing that you know what I mean of being Kells if you will but um, what did you is there anything that you wanted to share before uh, closing out the show no, I can't believe this is number four for us. That's kind of crazy. I would have never thought that that would happen. Right. But I also think that, you know, um, something I was telling someone the other day is that every day we just have to try to do better than we did yesterday. I think I was actually telling my mom that earlier this week. I mean, there is no perfect person, but if we just try to make tomorrow better than today and then the next day better than that, I mean, that's all we can ever hope for. I mean, we're not going to always get it right. We're not going to always win all the battles. And we're definitely not going to always stay out of our head but you know we just tried all right well um you know from uh from Romy mac and kells this is the two cents um podcast and we out peace